One Hope Church. All right. Good morning, everyone. Glad to see you all here. So we are getting closer and closer to holidays and holiday breaks and university students have taken exams and are relieved and a lot of them are home. A couple are still around and we're thankful to have them here this morning as well. Um, we're going to finish the book of Nehemiah this morning. Um, Nehemiah is such a wonderful book. Um, it's so powerful um, to see the work of God and what God can do um, in people's lives and how God can change lives and also what people can accomplish when they're fully sold out to his glory and to seeing his will um, accomplished in their lives and in, and in others and how um, really bleak situations can turn around. Um, and and I th- it's a really hopeful book in a lot of ways, despite adversity that's in it, despite failures, uh, you know, opposition from outside, failures from within. We're going to see some more failures today, and that can be a little bit discouraging. Um, but the book as a whole, I think, is a book of, of dedication and zeal and hope. Um, because so many times we can look at a situation and say, well, that can't change. We can look at a, at a community or a, uh, you know, a place and say, well, that's too far gone. But the Lord can change things. Um, and when people are dedicated um, ultimately to him and to his glory, God can use them in powerful ways. Um, so I'm going to give just a, a quick recap of where we are this morning. I'm not going to go all the way back um, to the beginning of where Nehemiah um, hears about the wall and needs to go and... and um, help Jerusalem in its sad state um, as a city and, and the people in their sad state. Um, we see, again, we've, we've seen opposition from outside and from within. In chapter 9, the people confessed their sins um, before the Lord. There's a great revival um, that happens um, there. In chapter 10, they seal a covenant, like they agree. Like here is what we're, who we're going to be, this is what we're going to do, this is what we're about, like we're locked in. Everybody agree? Good. Okay. Um, in chapter 11, um, a tenth of the people, and this is where we left off from last week, but I'm going to summarize 11 and 12 for you. You can go back and read um, in your own time. But in chapter 11, they decide that a tenth of the people are going to be appointed to live um, in Jerusalem. Because, you know, me, you know, the city had been largely abandoned. You know, most people, there were very few people living, you know, within it. And they needed a greater population in the city for it to thrive. But people had, you know, kind of set up, um, you know, in towns and in villages and, and everything in other parts of the country. So they um, basically, you know, they drew, they drew lots and they assigned a tenth of the people to come back and to live in the city, to repopulate it, and to help it to thrive. Um, in chapter 12, there's a list of priests that are given, and then the wall is dedicated to the Lord. There's a great celebration of thanksgiving. If you enjoy music, you would have loved um, this as they were you know, at the different parts of the wall, and people are leading the singing, and it's a powerful 
you know, um, movement. So that, that was a, a really wonderful, wonderful thing. And then it seems like in between chapters 12 and chapters 13, and this will be clear as we get into chapter 13, that Nehemiah um, has had to, to leave Jerusalem and go back to Persia, modern-day Iran, um, and he's there for a period of time, and then he's got to go back to Jerusalem again, and what he finds there is a, is a bit sad. Okay, so um, we're going we're gonna to get into that this morning, but with that, I, th- I think there's some, some really powerful things, and even as we enter um, this time of year, as we celebrate the coming of, of Jesus and you know, this is the time of year we do that, regardless of where that actually fell on the calendar. You know, it's our cultural norm to celebrate, you know, that Christ um, came in, in human flesh, um, you know, born among us, to live among us. And we celebrate that this time of year. And I think this passage really helps to remind us of why that's just so necessary. And, and how the law, as good as it was, just wasn't adequate for the task at hand. And that's the changing of our hearts. Um, and so we're going to talk about this um, this morning. So let's go to the Lord in prayer, and then we'll be in chapter 13 of Nehemiah. So Heavenly Father, we thank you this morning for your many blessings to us, for your great love for us. Thank you for a beautiful day full of sunshine and um, Lord, we thank you for your provision for us, that you are the one ultimately who provides um, for our needs, and we thank you, God. We pray that you would help us um, to understand your word this morning as there's difficult ports, parts of it, and help us to remember um, your, your love, your goodness, your, and also your holiness, um, and your justice, and thank you. Most of all, that you see how, how hopeless we are apart from your Son. And you sent your Son to be the sacrifice for us at the cross. And we give you thanks this morning for the sending of our Savior. In your name, Jesus, we pray. Amen. So this is, I'm just going to go ahead and tell you from, so you're not um, thrown off. So in, in verse 1, this is after again... Nehemiah has gone away for a period of time, and now he's come back. So he says, on that day, so this is when he's back at some point, on that day they read the book of Moses in the hearing of the people, and in it was found written that no Ammonite or Moabite should ever come into the assembly of God, because they had not met the children of Israel with bread and water, but hired Balaam against them to curse them. However, our God turned the curse into a blessing. So it was when they had heard the law that they separated all the mixed multitude from Israel. So let's stop there for a moment and talk about that because, you know, that's obviously a pretty significant thing to do and it, and it reads, you know, pretty harsh um, of a thing to do. Um, but again, the reasons behind it. So back when the Hebrews came out um, of Egypt, that they went through the lands of the Ammonites and the Moabites, and instead of, of greeting them with help, the Ammonites and, and Moabites um, did wickedly against them. Not all that they did was witness here. One, is as they were traveling through, they asked for 
basically the Hebrews asked for safe passage and just to travel through peacefully. Um, you know, they, they were denied that and they were denied what we would call, you know, basic hospitality. Instead, uh, these nations hired Balaam to, you know, curse um, the Hebrews. So there's that, that whole story. They also, you know, they, they, they did, you know, other sorts of wickedness um, against the, the Hebrews. And because of all that, God um, made this rule, it's in the book of Moses, that they would not come into the assembly of God. Okay, so they were not allowed into, you know, that, that temple area. Now, we need to be really clear that doesn't mean that an Ammonite or a Moabite could not be right with God and be in relationship with God. How do we know that? Again, Ruth was a Moabite um, who was the grandmother of King David who is in the lineage of Christ. As you read, if you read you know, the, um, through the lineage of, of, of Jesus uh, this Christmas, you're going to find her name. Okay, and so again, it's um, we have to be careful to understand what it says and what it doesn't say. And, and what it says and where the limitation is. Because God was not condemning every Ammonite and Moabite for all history to not be able to know him. That's not what happened. You know, people will make more of it than it actually is. Um, at the same time, we can't make nothing of it because it's, it is significant and it definitely affected, you know, people. Now, and we're going to say, well, that's not, you know, we can say things like, well, that wasn't fair because, you know, um, these people weren't the ones who actually were the ones that did that. Their ancestors did that. You know, what, you know why this and that and the other thing. There's lessons here, again, on... What, what a group of people do, does at any point in history affects other people throughout history. You know, we can talk about fair and not fair and all these things, but it's, it's more of, you know, how things are. Uh, you know, all of us are born in a per, certain point in history, um, in a certain place, and, and sometimes that's really good and sometimes that's negative. And none of us got to decide that. That's just kind of how it is because of the decisions that other people made, you know, in the in the past, and that's part of being uh, being human. Is you are you are dealt a certain hand of cards, and then what are you going to do, you know, with that? Um, and so there are people who could be bitter and say, "Well, you know, not led into the assembly of God. Okay, I can have nothing to do with this God." Or there could be people humble and say. God is righteous judge and follow the example um, of Ruth who obviously had a relationship with Yahweh, the true and living God. Um, and so that's, you know, those are the options that people have, that people had in that, in that situation. We also have a situation here of a history um, and we've talked about this a little bit with Solomon as an example of that, but you know, what, what was happening as people were giving their sons to marry, um, you know, these, you know, women from, you know, who worship foreign gods, and they would end up worshiping those gods, and their children would end up worshiping those gods. And so they kind of had to take a hard line here 
and what they're taking a hard line here on is there's one true and living God and we can't we can't have this thing set up to where our people are being pulled away from that. Um, and so that was important. So let's continue on. In verse 4 it says, Now before this, Eliashib the priest, having authority over the storerooms of the house of our God, was allied with Tobiah. And he had prepared for him a large room where previously they had stored the grain offerings, the frankincense, the articles, the tithes of grain, the new wine and oil, which were commanded to be given to the Levites and singers and gatekeepers, and the offerings for the priest. But during all this I was not in Jerusalem, for in the 32nd year of Artaxerxes, king of Babylon, I had returned to the king. Then after certain days I obtained leave from the king. And I came to Jerusalem and discovered the evil that Elishab had done for Tobiah in preparing a room for him in the courts of the house of God. Now, let's remember who Tobiah is. Tobiah, you know, Tobiah was an, an enemy of Nehemiah and of the people as they were building the wall. He was one of the ones that was accusing Nehemiah of you know, this rebellion against King Artaxerxes. He was one of the ones who was trying to discourage um, the people from building the wall, and he was, you know, plotting and, and conspiring against Nehemiah and the work. And here, we read this awful deal that Elishib had, who was the priest who was, who was on the right side in the building of the wall, has now given this place of, of honor and, and of, of a place where Tobiah can do harm to the people, and allows him to set up residence in one of the, what was one of the storehouses for the temple, like right next to the temple. Like it's basically it's it it is the the you have let the fox into the hen house, and th- that's what has happened here. Um, and it's because again through these you know unwise marriages between people of different um, faiths. That Elishab is is connected, you know. We think it's connected to Tobiah, and so it's, um, you know, he's kind of taking care of a family instead of taking care of his responsibilities as um, priest, and so that's a um, a, b- a bad thing. Um, and so now we read verse eight. Nehemiah says, "And it grieved me." bitterly. Therefore, I threw all the household goods of Tobiah out of the room. Then I commanded them to cleanse the rooms, and I brought back into them the articles of the house of God with the grain offerings and the frankincense. I also realized that the portions for the Levites had not been been given them. For each of the Levites and the singers who did the work had gone back to his field. So I contended with the rulers and says, why is the house of God forsaken? And I gathered them together and set them in their place. Okay. So, we had just read a couple of chapters ago that this, this covenant that was made, that the people all said that they were going to give these you know, things for the storehouses, that the Levites and the singers would be able to do there their work and they would receive what they needed to live 
in order to do it. They had promised to take care of the temple of God. You know, they had done all these things. And, and we're talking here probably like a couple of years have passed. A couple of years have passed. And they've already broken their covenant in just a couple of years. And that's a sad, a sad thing. <laughs> they had already broken their covenant. In just a couple of years. And, you know, when Nehemiah comes back, I mean, he's like, you know, he had to travel a thousand miles. He had to do his thing, get permission from the king again, come back. And he comes back. Can you imagine how he must have felt when he sees that the covenant that the people had made after just two years, they weren't following through. And so the you know, these people who are supposed to be doing the work in the temple are already back in their fields. They've already left Jerusalem, back in their fields to, you know, have enough food to eat to survive. And the thing about it is that, and you see, the, you see this throughout the entire Old Testament, that when the people are, are following God, that the, the land gave them an abundance. And there was no lack of wealth, and there was no lack of food, and there was no lack of shelter and supplies, and all that they, they had needed, because that was part of God's covenant with them. That was part of his promise to them. Now, again, we have to understand what covenant we're under, because people will take that and say, well, you know, if I follow God today, then I expect to be healthy, wealthy, and wise. Hmm. Well, they at least expect the healthy and wealthy part. Might not think so much about the wise part, but they think, think about the healthy and wealthy part. Well, here's the reality. Here's the reality. We all, we all are going to get sick at some point. Unless the Lord returns we're all going to pass on. Like, health is not a permanent thing. It's just not. And it's not promised to us. That wasn't promised in the Old Covenant, and it's certainly not promised to us in the New Covenant. But this wealth, we are also not promised that either. That's not part of the New Covenant. It's just not. Um, so we have to understand what covenant we're under, we are also, you know, to, we're instructed by Jesus to not live a life of worry, to have our focus on the things of God, to be content, you know, like he gives us an outline of, of how we're supposed to live, you know, on this, on this earth, that we, myself included, our hearts easily get distracted and turned aside from the simple things that the Lord has for us. But... To be clear here, if the people had been obedient, there would have been no lack for anyone in Israel. As it's a good land and it produced tremendous, um, tremendously. I mean, just remember the description that's given when the Hebrews are coming forward and they go to look and, and to scout out, you know, the land and you know, what do they see? A land flowing with milk and honey. Clusters 
you know, a huge clusters of grapes. Like it's a, it's a rich, it was a rich and, and fertile place. Um, so that's a sad, a sad take. But he, in verse 11, Nehemiah said, So I contended with the rulers, and I said, Why is the house of God forsaken? And I gathered them together and set them in their place. <laughs> so he gets the leaders together. He's like, He puts them where they need to be. He, puts, he brings order to the situation. You know, Nehemiah, he had this God given authority. That when he walked into the scene, the people did what they should do. When he walked out of the, when he wasn't on the scene, people kind of went back, reverted to their old ways. When he comes back on the scene again, people are like, "Better straighten up." Nehemiah's here. Like he had a God-given authority in the situation. It's a, it's powerful. It's a beautiful, I think. And he, you know, he, he uses that to get the people to do the right thing. Now, he's obviously um, serious and not someone to be messed with. Like, he had no problem taking Tobias, um, all of his stuff, and just throwing it out on the street. Like, he went in a cleaned house. He's like, I mean, he's like, get, this, get this junk out of here. You know, and we're just, you know, it, it, it's a little bit reminiscent of Jesus in the in the temple with the money changers, and Jesus has the whip, and he's driving them out, and he's turning over tables. Again, people a lot of times don't like that picture of Jesus because that's not, you know, the quote unquote peace loving Jesus that just tells everybody whatever they do is fine and just you know enjoy sort of thing. No, he's serious, and he, he says he's just, and there's a holiness, and there's a right way, and there's a wrong way, and you know Jesus is insistent on it, and so you know there's don't look at that and say well and automatically say well you know Nehemiah shouldn't have done that. Well, you can look at Jesus and say well he shouldn't have done what he did in the temple. Let's be careful. Now. He says to them, uh, in verse 12, Then all of Judah brought the tithe of the grain and the new wine and the oil to the storehouse. And I appointed as treasures over the storehouse, Shelemiah the priest and Zadok the scribe of the Levites. Pedadiah and next to them was Hannah the son of Sacher, the son of Matanani, for they were considered faithful, and their task was to distribute to their brethren. Remember me, O my God, concerning this, and do not wipe out my good deeds that I have done for the house of my God and for its services. Now, two important points. Nehemiah knew he couldn't do this alone, so he appointed people who were faithful. Okay, so that's important. He, he you know, seeks faithful people, and that's the way it's, you know, in the church as well, it's supposed to be faithful people are supposed to be given responsibility um, because Nehemiah can't handle all of the work of the Lord, and no one can today. You know, so it has to be in a lot of people's hands, but those people need to be trustworthy. They need to have a good reputation. They were considered faithful. And so that has to be what is, um, what is done. You know, and, and we need to really get back to this. Jesus has given his church, as we have a New Testament application here, 
Jesus has given his church really clear qualities, character qualities that should be present in those who are in leadership. And it's, it's not qualities of being famous or of having certain degrees or of other, or, you know, of, of who their family is. It's the individual character. And when the church forgets about individual character, then we've got problems. And so, their task was to distribute. They had a, a specific task that they were supposed to do. And Nehemiah, when he says, remember me, oh my God, concerning this, he's not just saying, you know, let it be good for me because of what I've done for you. He, he's actually like, remember, oh my God, concerning this, and do not wipe out my good deeds that I've done for the house of God. Like, what he's asking there is for continuity, like, like this would carry on, that his work wouldn't have been for nothing. Because I think right now he feels a, a bit like, hey, I'm only gone for a little while, and these people have already forgotten and thrown out a lot of what they had agreed to do. And so... He's concerned, and I think rightly concerned, that his effort isn't going to last. And so he asked for God's help, and that his work would carry on, and, and there would be some lasting fruit from what he has done. Verse 15, In those days I saw the people in Judah treading wine presses on the Sabbath, and bringing in sheaves, and loading donkeys with wine, grapes, figs, and all kinds of burden, which they brought into Jerusalem on the Sabbath day. And I warned them about the day on which they were selling provisions. Men of Tyre dwelt there also, who brought in fish and all kinds of goods, and sold them on the Sabbath to the children of Judah and in Jerusalem. Then I contended with the nobles of Judah and said to them, What evil thing is this that you do by which you profane the Sabbath day? Did not your fathers do like this, and did not our God bring all this disaster on us and on this city? Yet you bring added wrath on Israel by profaning the Sabbath. So again, one of the Ten Commandments, one of the laws of Moses, and one of the Ten Commandments is, you shall remember the Sabbath and keep it holy. And you're not supposed to do you know, work on that day. Now again, this is one of the things we talked about last week. What covenant are you under? Are you on the Old Covenant or New Covenant? Again, because this is one of those things people want to pick and choose, you know, different parts and different, you know, things. If you're under the Old Covenant, if you're like, well, we need to keep the Sabbath, well, remember again that Saturday. And so I will have expected that on Friday you will have prepared all your food. On Saturday you would have been in your house. You would not have left your house. You would have been worshiping in your home. You might have traveled to a certain distance or if you had to travel to... The, the, the synagogue or to the temple you know but did you what law do you want to be under because I'm, I'm just going to tell you people don't want to be under that you know people today like Sabbath you know there's all sorts of confusion they think it's Sunday they think they're not supposed to do this right, but they're breaking all sorts of the law of it if you're actually under it If you went and dug a hole yesterday, you did not follow the Sabbath. 
If you went to an event yesterday, you did not follow the Sabbath. If you prepared food in your home yesterday, you did not follow the Sabbath. You are not a Sabbath keeper. That's okay if you are one who is not under the law. You're not under the Old Covenant. You're under the New Covenant. Now, that being said, um, we still have responsibilities in the New Covenant. Hebrews tells us, do not forsake the assembling of yourselves together as a matter of some, but all, you know, all the more as you see the day approaching, the return of Christ. So, we have responsibilities. We are to gather um, in to worship. But aren't you thankful this morning that we didn't have to make you know, any animal sacrifices at no, at no point during the year that we, we have to do that? Aren't you thankful that you were not, didn't have to count your steps and make sure that you didn't walk too many? That would be a little bit easier in today's technology with your, your app, right? It would let you, give you warning signals when you were starting to get close. Sabbath app. <laughs> You'd have your Sabbath app, yes. But aren't you glad that you don't have to do that? At the same time, we do need to remember that God is holy and God is worthy of our respect and God is worthy of our, of our time and God is worthy of our worship. We just have a lot more freedom. Not, to, not, I mean, we're still given principles and we're still given certain things that we're supposed to do, but we are given a lot more freedom in that, but let's not abuse our freedom. Our heart should be more attuned to desire and to want to worship God because of the freedom that we have in Christ and that we're not under the law. But these people were under the law. And so Nehemiah was right to say, because they had, again, that breaking of the law, Nehemiah says, because of this, we've been in all this situation anyway. Because of this not keeping the Sabbath. God has you know, judged us. And yet you're going to go right back after we've been given these, these blessings and this victory, and you're going to go right back and do the things that God has judged in the first place. Like, stop it. And he's right. Again, the, the context that Nehemiah is in, he is 100% correct to tell them to stop doing what they were doing because Christ had not come. He had not died on the cross and set up a new covenant. So he was exactly right to do what he did. So it was in verse 19. At the gates of Jerusalem, as it began to be dark before the Sabbath, that I commanded the gates to be shut and charged that they must not be opened till after the Sabbath. Then I posted some of my servants at the gates so that no burdens would be brought in on the Sabbath day. Now the merchants and sellers of all kinds of wares lodged outside Jerusalem once or twice. Then I warned them and said to them, Why do you spend the night around the wall? If you do so again, I will lay hands on you. From that time on, <laughs> go lay some hands on them. Um, from that time on, they came no more on the Sabbath. And I commanded the Levites that they should cleanse themselves and they should go and guard the gates to sanctify the Sabbath day. Remember me, O oh my God, concerning this also, and spare me according to the greatness of your mercy. Now that one gets more personal. 
In those days I also saw Jews who married women of Ashdod, Ammon, and Moab, and half of their children spoke the language of Ashdod and could not speak the language of Judah, but spoke according to the language of one of the other people. So I contended with them and cursed them and struck some of them and pulled out their hair and made them swear by God, saying, You shall not give your daughters as wives to their sons, nor take their daughters for your sons or yourselves. Did not Solomon, king of Israel, sin by these things? Yet among many nations there was no king like him who was beloved of his God, and God made him king over all Israel. Nevertheless, pagan women caused, him, caused even him to sin. Should we then hear of your doing all this great evil, transgressing against our God by marrying pagan women? And one of the sons of Jodiah, the son of Elisheb, the high priest, was son-in-law of Sambalat the Hornonite. Therefore I drove him from me. Remember them, O my God, because they have defiled the priesthood and the covenant of the priests and the Levites. And thus I cleansed them of everything pagan. I also assigned duties to the priests and the Levites, each to his service and to bringing the wood offering and the first fruits at appointed times. Remember me, O my God, for good. So again, he takes a pretty hard line here. Um, He exerts his authority, and he uses the force that he deems is necessary um, in the situation to make his point. And what was particularly grievous, again, is the Levites who are supposed to direct the people in the worship, the proper worship of the true and living God, according to the law of Moses, and in the law of Moses, they are specifically commanded, you know, to not marry um, foreign women and who would bring them after, or or have their daughters marry men who would bring them off, off to foreign gods. They were specifically told that, and so it was particularly grievous to me, Maya, that those in the priesthood would be doing that. And again, it's not, um, it's much less about ethnicity than it is about faith. And, and that's still true today. It doesn't matter what ethnicity that you are. If you are a follower of Jesus and you are not married, you need to marry someone who is a follower of Jesus. Because why would you want to bring that unnecessary conflict you know, into, your, into your life? Where consistently with that other person, you're going to be in conflict over how, how are we going to navigate this, and then it gets even more complicated for the children. If one parent is teaching, we want to worship God, and the other one is saying, there is no God. One parent is saying, Jesus is the Son of God, and the other parent is saying, no, he's not. You know, that's not, that's not a great situation. Um, we don't, the, the scripture in, in the new covenant, you know, instructs us, you know, along those lines. Now, it also gives instructions. You have two people, they're married. One of them becomes a follower of Jesus. The other one is not a follower of Jesus. And what are they supposed to do with, you know, as long as that person is willing to stay married to you, you stay and you're married and you share the love of Jesus with them by how you live you know, your life and you pray for them. Um, and unless they break that marriage covenant, which they may do one way or another, they may break that marriage covenant by going and being with another person. 
they may commit adultery and break that marriage covenant. They may say, I'm just breaking this marriage covenant because I don't want to be with you anymore because you're a follower of Jesus now. Like, those things happen to people. Scripture gives us all of our instruction, all that, in the new covenant. What we don't do, though, and this is just a principle here, we don't go to the old covenant to figure out what we're supposed to do today. We go to the, we go to the covenant that we're under. Otherwise, you can come to wrong conclusions, Right? Um, and, and there's this pretty simple on, on this one in terms of like how we should respond to all these things. Most of us are not Jewish, and if we are, it's a little bit. <laughs> you, know, you might have a few, but you see what I'm saying? You might have a small percentage, but it, you know, so man, even more of a reason, like, I mean, this, imagine this though. I mean, it's tough. I mean, a person, we see this throughout the, the Old Testament, you know, people from other nations who are followers of God, and they you know, follow the true and living God. I'm going to put myself under this law and all these requirements. I mean, that's heavy. But they knew it was worth it, and that was their context and what they have to do. Today, because Jesus has come, every person, Jewish, Gentile, that's Gentile, you know, everything except Jewish. All of us, all, every person in the world today can be in the New Covenant. The first disciples, all Jewish, they were in the New Covenant. They left the Old and came to the New. The early church, majority of them were Jewish. They left the Old Covenant and came to the New in Christ. And all of us today who believe in Jesus, that he died on the cross for our sins and that he rose from the dead, we're under that new covenant. And here's one of the reasons we need this. this the fact that Nehemiah was only gone for two years and the people had already messed it up shows us how much we need the new covenant. Listen to Romans 8. Let me read a little bit from Romans 8. There is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. Can I just say that again? Can I read that verse again? There is, there is therefore now, right now, no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. God views us as redeemed, as purified before him, as not condemned. Now listen to this. Who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. For the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus has made me free from the law of sin and death. For what the law could not do in that it was weak through the flesh, God did by sending His own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh on account of sin, he condemned sin in the flesh. So, so we get that. So the, the law was weak because of the flesh. There actually wasn't, the issue really wasn't the law. It was just that the law had to be played out by humans who are weak. Couldn't keep it. Could not keep it. 
But the, what the law could not do, God did by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh. He wasn't sinful, but he came like us. He did not have the inherited sin of Adam. Verse 4, that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh, but those who live according to the Spirit, the things of the Spirit. To be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace. Because the carnal mind is enmity with, against God, for it is not subject to the law of God, nor can, indeed can be. So then, those who are in the flesh cannot please God. But you are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if indeed the Spirit of God indwells in you. Our flesh could not keep the law. Our flesh stood condemned. So, Christ comes in the likeness of human flesh, lives among us, and is sacrificed on the cross in our place to fulfill the righteous requirements of the law. That, that blood as payment was righteous requirement of the law to fulfill it. It was fulfilled. And so now we can live according to the Spirit. See, in this new system, you can't just say, well, I'm going to try harder. I'm just going to try harder to be a better me. The flesh isn't capable. The flesh cannot please God. It just can't. No matter how hard it tries, it's still going to fall short. And that's why I'm pointing over here because that's usually where the bread and cup are. It's over here. Realize that a couple times. Over here, the bread and cup is. We remember that Jesus died on the cross for our sins this morning. That He came. You know, we we have that celebration that unto us a Savior was born. And he came lowly and humbly. And he came for us because we couldn't do it. We couldn't save ourselves. And so it's through faith not by works that we are made right with God. It's a gift, a gift to be received. And that's the wonderful thing that we remember this, this time of year. And as we give gifts this year, there's no better gift to offer someone than the message of who Jesus is. The gift of Jesus himself. There's no better gift to give to other people. And so, as we are in this time of year that has culturally become many other things, I just want us to be reminded um, to use the opportunity that it gives to have conversations 
with people about who Jesus is. You know, I mean, even asking, what is the what is the Christ? What is the Jesus part of Christmas mean to you? Can we talk about that? You know, however you need to think about it, however you need to phrase it, however you need to word it, and but look to give the gift of Jesus to someone because Jesus changes lives. Jesus changes lives. Jesus changes. Everything. When we come to know him, like he he radically works um, in us. Let's give him thanks this morning for his love and for his goodness, and let's be committed to share him with others. Because I can guarantee you, if Nehemiah being hypothetical here, but like if Nehemiah was alive today, say the Lord brought him back, he's alive today, like whew, he would tell you, whew, glad not under that old covenant anymore. That was rough. That was tough. That, that was real difficult. But remember that you were in the new covenant. And that also comes with responsibilities. You know, what I don't want you to walk away from is like, well, I'm not allowed to come I can kind of do what I want now. No. The love of Christ compels us. The love of Jesus compels us. To love God with all that we are and to love our neighbors as ourselves. That's the heart of it all. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your love and for your goodness to us. Lord, we're thankful for the testimony example of Nehemiah and that we're thankful that he did difficult things um, for your glory and for the good um, of his people. Lord, we're, we're even more thankful this morning of what you have done for us in your son Jesus. And this time of year as we celebrate that our, our Savior came, we're also reminded that our King will return. And so help us, Jesus, to look forward to that and to give you thanks this morning and also that our hearts uh, will be prepared and, and ready for you to return again. And until then, we will live for you and that we would share you with others. In your name, Jesus. Amen. Amen.